ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Thank you. That's all. Um, <clears throat> hi, <laughs> welcome to Culture Cabinet. It's a podcast, an extension of the Culture Cabinet website. My name's Lex, and I am a Culture Cabinet tier. I'm <laughs> joined here today with uh, Nicole. How are you? I love that. I feel like a mouseketeer now for the first time. <laughs> Fantastic. And I'm also joined with Dan Bayer. What's up, Dan Bayer? What's up, Lexi Williams? <laughs> Nothing much. Just here to talk about one of my favorite topics, Sweeney Todd. Um, we have all three seen the 2023 revival of Sweeney Todd, Stephen Sondheim's um, crown jewel, if you were to ask people, and by people I mean me. Um and being that the three of us are all either former or current, or let's be real, we never left theater kids, um, we thought it would be a really good time to just sit and talk about our feelings about the show because we have a lot of them. Um, so I think we should get right into the discussion. Um, do we kind of want to start by maybe going around and saying our experience with Sweeney Todd, like what our background was going into the show? Yeah, okay. let's do that. Okay. Does anyone want to start? I can start um, because I the, I have a weird relationship with Sondheim shows in general, but particularly with Sweeney Todd, it it was like prior to the the movie coming out, it was one of the ones that I probably knew the least because, like, I when you know growing up in theater, it's like you know Sondheim is. You know, those are the really difficult musicals. Those are the musicals for like adults. <laughs> and so like I never really listened to them. And but when the movie came out, I said, Well, I have to be informed. So I and I at that point, like I had seen, you know, clips from the Angela Lansbury Lancuru, you know, Broadway that was the uh, pro shot and um all that but i actually like listened to the whole original broadway cast recording for the first time and was like a little blown away by the like the range of the music in the show it it is really just so big <laughs> so big and gothic and it has those horror elements but then it also has like turn of the century dance hall music and these really gorgeous soaring ballads um that i that just really s spoke to me they really loved the way the music made me feel let alone what the lyrics were talking about but then um i remember seeing the movie and being like well choices were made um the understatement of the century yes uh there there are things that i like about it there are many more things that i don't like about it <laughs> um and since then i have seen like a few productions of sweeney Todd, but mostly on the like community regional theater level which is always interesting because Sometimes you're watching people who just really can't sing the the parts as written, and 
then if you're watching people who can sing it, you're also you're often seeing it with like you know an orchestra that consists of a piano, a drum set, and a guitar, maybe a string bass. You know, if you're lucky, so like you're not really getting the full sound of of the music. And so this is the first time I had seen a professional production um, going into this revival, which I knew that I had really wanted to see because Josh Groban and Annalie Ashford, the, it's really, I think it's kind of genius casting. I know there are some people who were upset for whatever reasons. I, I don't, I don't ascribe to those beliefs at all. Um, I think they're quite brilliant casting choices and I was so happy to see that I was right. <laughs> if you're a Josh Groban hater, I'd just like to say, um, go away. This isn't for you. <laughs> you're not welcome in the cabinet. <laughs> Get out of the cabinet. <laughs> Josh Groban has a permanent place in the culture cabinet. Josh okay. Groban is really nice. welcome in the culture cabinet. That's completely, yes. That's completely true. I, um, I will say kind of just because that kind of segues into what one of the couple reasons that piqued my interest about this production. I um, actually bought tickets for this show the day they went on sale um, because I was like, first of all, um, as Nicole and Dan both know, I my favorite Broadway show of all time is Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. Um, I saw another four- thing that is permanently in the culture cabinet. <laughs> you Truly. are Natasha here in the, uh, in the Great Comet of 1812. You can get in the cabinet. Uh, <laughs> Dave Malloy, come on in. Um, but no, I saw it four times and um, Josh Groban was in it. And then I just kind of decided after that that I was going to be a Josh Groban stan. Um, and so that's what I became. Um, I made Nicole go with me to a Josh Groban concert last summer. Um, and it was, it was actually really one of the best concerts I've ever been to. Lexi uh, saw God. I saw I mean. <laughs> God at the Josh Gerben concert. Uh, join us next. Oh wow! Week I talk about the time. I s- the thing is, like I said it as, as like a joke, but I really think I did. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, first of all, I would just like to say Josh Gerben's PR team gave Nicole and I merch packs that were well above our ticket grade because we didn't get in the right line to get sandwiches and that was 100% on me because we got tickets that were supposed to come with sandwiches and um it was 100% on me because I didn't check my email but I didn't realize that was the thing um and so because we didn't get our sandwiches they gave us like autographed notebooks and beach towels and lunch boxes and so Josh Groban's PR team if wow yeah um (laughs) Shout out to Josh Griffin's PR team. Um, you're you're lovely. Um, but anyway, I remember um around like last this time last year, um, because Nicole and I were actually on a trip together in Myrtle Beach, the um rumor mills were saying that Josh Gerben was supposed to go be Sweeney Todd. And I said to Nicole then, I said, I will be there. Um, and I was. Um, I am admittedly not a huge Sondheim girly um but i feel very passionate about my love of sweeney todd and i think kind of dan to your point um this feels like the score feels very different from anything else in the sondheim canon um a lot of you know different from anything else period like anything anything in the musical theater canon 
Mm -hmm. I can't think of anything that sounds like this. Yeah. And, you know, it's got like Joanna and um, even like by the sea kind of feel a bit more reminiscent of what one might associate with a Sondheim musical. But and even like Epiphany where he's got that there's a hole in the world, like a great black pit, like that kind of sinking of that cadence to the song is very Sondheim, but it also just kind of goes beyond what people associate with him. Um, and I've always appreciated that about this musical. I in 10th grade was at a drama club party, a drama club Halloween party. And we decided to all watch Sweeney Todd and I had not seen it. I was scared to see it because at that time I still was convinced that I didn't like horror movies. Um, and I actually ended up thinking that it was great. Um, I loved it. I bought, I actually stole the DVD from Netflix, um, in the sense that I, this was back when you like ordered DVDs off Netflix. So I infamously tried to steal the Geppetto VHS from Blockbuster. Didn't succeed. Um, 10 years later, I got revenge on my parents by successfully, I still have it. Um, I <laughs> ordered Sweeney Todd on DVD uh, from Netflix. And then I was like, oh, I put it in the mailbox. We're good. But I didn't. And <laughs> I still have it. And then my dad was like, why were we charged $30 from Netflix? Um, it's because I didn't return Sweeney Todd. Um, but apparently, I read in the New York Times just a few days ago that apparently Netflix is letting you keep all the DVDs you never returned. So it's mine now. Um, but yeah, so uh, now that I kind of have become more acquainted with the musical itself, I've seen the pro shot with Angela Lansbury. Um, I've seen quite a few uh, local productions of Sweeney Todd. I realized that the movie is a good horror musical movie, but it's not necessarily a good adaptation of this musical. Um, but the revival was the first time I saw like a professional production of it. Um, and I've now seen it three times. Um, so that's my journey. Uh, Nicole, what, what was your journey through Sweeney Todd? Here I come. Okay, so... Growing up a theater kid, I was definitely aware of Sweeney Todd, but I never really felt a pull to any of Sondheim's shows. And I still, like Lex, I'm not a Sondheim girly. Listen, on the divide, much as I have my issues with the man himself, I'm an Andrew Lloyd Webber girly for life. Uh, that is my man. But like really when it comes down to it, like especially growing up, I was like a Schoenberg and Bublil girly. Like... Sondheim just never really appealed to me that much. Um, but I do know that the first thing that really, really introduced me to Sweeney Todd, and this is like the weirdest path in, particularly for me, was the, oh God, when did it come out? The like 2004 Ben Affleck movie, Jersey Girl, which for some reason I watched in a class in high school. Nicole, I, I have so many questions. Same. I didn't. You unlocked a memory. I forgot the because there's that yes. one scene where they do um God, that's good. Yes, they do. Yes. Um, and all the other like parents in the school are very concerned that it's not like child appropriate, and he's like, "This is what my daughter wanted." Um, because like Ben Affleck is continually just in movies where he's like attempting to be a good father, and not really sure how. Um, typecast maybe. Uh, but. Like, that was my interest. And, like, I don't think it's that surprising that, like, nothing in that made me more interested in this show. <laughs> um, 
But then I didn't watch the movie until the summer that I was living in New York during college. I saw um, Laura Michelle Kelly in Finding Neverland, um, a musical that flopped that I loved. And I also went to her concert and I discovered that she played um, Lucy in the movie. And so whenever I got home, you know, from being in New York this summer, I was like, Hannah, my sister, uh, we need to watch this movie and like see her in it because we've seen her on stage. And I distinctly remember my sister and I sat down in the living room one day that summer, which would have been in God, like 2016. Is that when we went into our senior year of college, Lex? 2016? Okay. So how old was Hannah? Oh, let's Hannah was like 12, 13, maybe. Um, oh. Which is a little <laughs> young maybe for it. But, you know, she was also one of those kids that just got exposed to everything a little young because of the age gap between us. We're, we're almost nine years apart in age. So, you know, she saw a lot of things too early. Um, but we sat down and watched it and we thought it was like the funniest thing we'd ever seen. Uh, which speaks a lot to me and Hannah's sense of humor, maybe. But... And partially because, like you said, Dan, there's a lot of good things in that movie. There's also a lot of bad things in that movie. And I think that that movie also just fundamentally misunderstands Sweeney Todd. Um, In the same way that, like, I think the Into the Woods movie is, like, a good movie. I don't think it's a good adaptation of that musical. Uh, And I, I just don't know that, like, Sondheim adapts well to the screen. But... It, you know, it piqued my interest a little, but, like, not that much, which, again, based on that movie, is not that surprising. But what's funny about this is that Sweetie Todd really is something that, like, feels built to appeal to me. It is based on a Victorian Penny Dreadful character. It is set in 1840s London. It's very, like, gothic horror. Like, you know, of all of the popular musicals, the only thing more gothic horror than this is fandom. Uh, and... It, it has a lot of very fun, almost like vaudevillian female numbers, which is another thing I am always looking for. Um, and so I finally got interested in it. I think it was honestly after I saw Company in London with the recent revival. And I was like, you know what, maybe I should give Sondheim a little bit more of a chance. And I watched the, oh my God, I can't remember when the production was done. It's the filmed concert version with Emma Thompson. I think that that was like 2016 17 somewhere Um, yeah I think I think we were in college when it happened Lex yeah Um, I want to say it's like 2014 2015 yeah for anyone who doesn't know yeah 14 15 somehow yeah Lex and I went to college together um but and that really was what cemented me being like oh this show is great but I'd never seen it like actually live on stage so I was very excited when they were, they announced their revival. And then obviously I heard great things from Lex. Um, so that is how I ended up, you know, and, and, and again, I am also a big Grey Comet fan and thus would follow Josh Groban to any musical he wants to do. Uh, and I'm also a huge Annalie Ashford fan. Uh, so again, would follow her to any musical she decided to do. And the thing that really, really changed my mind on Sondheim was um the Sweeney Todd or not the Sweeney Todd Jesus the Sunday in the Park with George revival with Annalie Ashford so felt right um but 
you know, I really went into it not positive what a fully staged production looked like, which made it a very interesting experience. And and it was quite fun that um, my sister Hannah got to come with us because, you know, we had first seen the movie together many years ago um, and and got to see it live together for the first time, too. But Lex, you... You talk about like seeing the Broadway production first because you saw it before Dan and I did. Oh, okay. Um, well, actually, <laughs> so real quick, I do want to tell yeah. one quick side story about like my background with it. Um, okay. Because you saying that Hannah watched it too young, it just reminded me. My younger cousin, who's now <laughs> about to turn 18, which makes me feel really old. Um, yeah. This was about 10 years ago. So he would have been like eight. He, um, came up to me he was spending the night at our house and he was like hey Lexi do you know what my dream is and I was like what's your dream Tosh and he was like I really want to watch Sweeney Todd he was <laughs> like my mom says I can't watch it because it's too scary but it's my dream and I went it's your dream and he went yeah it's my dream and I was like okay well far be it from me to crush anyone's dream I was like, let's watch it. I was like, I'll tell you, though, it's scary. And he's like, I can handle it. I'm like, okay. He played you like a fiddle. He did. He did. <laughs> um, and he doesn't say a word for the entire movie. He just sits there. And then the end credits roll. And he just goes, okay, that happened. And then that night in the middle of the night I hear a knock on my door and it's Tosh and he's like can I come sleep in your room oh, that's so cute I was like what are you scared he's like oh my no God. I just want to make sure you're okay um but yeah so you know it, it builds character showing kids Sweeney Todd too soon um but no going into um the show I didn't really know what to expect because like I said in terms of um productions that i'd seen it was all community theater um in fact i saw like a sweeney todd jr apparently that exists um and i'd watched the pro shot of it's actually the tour um and it's it's not lynn Carew as sweeney todd it's george oh what's his last name um oh george hearn george hearn yeah um who i actually think is a little better than lynn Carew. sorry <laughs> Um, but I'd seen that and that kind of gave me a general idea of what it could look like in a fully staged production. And I saw it while it was still in previews, which is going to be important in a second. But, um, I saw it, I think in the second or third week of previews and a lot of people I know who'd seen it had said like, oh, I wish they, I wish they'd gone for a more maximalist production or I wish like they'd gone more in on the production design, whatever. And I can see why they why they may thought that may have thought that. I personally, I don't know. It's one of those things where, and this is why I'm kind of notoriously someone who will, if I really like a show, I'll go see it again. Um, and part of that is because you know there's the time where you like watch it and you're so overwhelmed like taking it in and then there's the times where you kind of like sit back and you're actually like paying attention to the little more nuances um and the first time I saw it I thought the um in scene the staging was just from pretty much the asylum onward was just insane um the way they moved that big tower 
um the kind of way the set rotates is just brilliant um visually the the ones that are the kind of like moments that stick out of my mind is in joanna quartet um when the beggar woman's singing and it's the silhouette of mrs lovett opening the oven gorgeous gorgeous visual mm-hmm. um when sweeney and mrs lovett are looking for tobias because they realize they got to kill him and the set's moving and they're walking around great staging great great staging um i will say the first night i saw it um this chair malfunctioned um when he killed the judge which is the worst time for the chair to malfunction and so the little like ledge that held his feet wouldn't go down so he couldn't slide so josh literally started trying to push him in and he couldn't go down so instead he just got on all fours and crawled off the stage and these people behind me when we let out um went oh my god in all the productions of sweeney todd i've ever seen i never saw a choice so stupid the judge didn't die. He just, why did he crawl to the basement? He could have just crawled home. I'm like, you thought that Obviously, was this was not a choice. I was like, oh, God. That's like, y'all are so dumb dumb. Um, I really thought for a second, Doom Man was just going to jump into the slide. Um, But I did think on hold the chair, of, the, the reveal, it's one of my favorite moments in a production of Sweeney Todd is when they first reveal how they're going to do the chair. Um, and I think it's so funny that you have Josh Groban singing like so beautifully. He, his voice was made for that score. Like Josh Groban could sing anything, obviously, but like particularly, he kills this score, and the way that he's hitting all these beautiful notes while he's just yeeting someone into a shoot is fantastic. Um, I will say there were some choices that Anna Lee made that I really liked in previews that when i saw it again so when i saw it again it was i saw it twice within 48 hours we don't need to talk about it um but that was in july right so it had been open for a while at that point um the first time i saw it when it was in previews and the last scene and this was something i talked about to like anyone who would listen to me um is when he realizes that she lied and he pretends to forgive her um instead of kind of what she still does this but instead of um you know kind of believing that he's forgiven her she freaked the fuck out like she started sobbing and um like pleading with him because she knew what he was gonna do and she knows what he's gonna do still but it's more like a panic like i think she's literally like no like she's like don't uh." she's literally like pleading with him um and i loved that moment so much and then when i saw it again she didn't do it the first time and i was like well maybe she's just tired and then i saw it again 48 hours later and i was like no she's doing it differently and i i really liked the way she did it the first time um but i mean the kind of initial thoughts are pretty much the same i think josh is just i think josh is so good and i I know we'll get into this in more detail but i think he he unlike a lot of sweeney's i think shows kind of the man under um the man who was before and I think that is that makes it a bit more human. Um, and I like that about his performance. I mean, he's definitely more of a singer than he is an actor, for sure. But and he, for whatever reason, walks at a 90 degree angle. Um, like he literally bends at the waist and walks like in an L shape. And I would just like to know why. Um, 
maybe his back hurts from carrying that score. I don't know. But um, I think he's great. Annalie Ashford is brilliant. Um, And I just, I don't know. It was one of the bars low because, like I said, most of the productions I had seen of Sweeney Todd were um, community theater. But in all my viewings of this musical, I thought it was one of the strongest by far. That's my really long-winded opinion. I remember um, talking to you after seeing it about how, like, mm-hmm. how disappointed I was with how they staged the ending because I, it my my dirty little secret about my feelings about this show, I guess, like my hot take on this show is that I don't think it ends well. Um, it builds up to this fever pitch, and I think that last scene into the last ballad of Sweeney Todd, it it feels like just a really unsatisfying way to end it in a lot of ways. Like there's there are sometimes like purposefully dissatisfying endings. This is that's not what I'm talking about. There there's just something off to me always with how it ends. Um I don't think they've fully worked out how to make the ending that they wrote work. Uh, and I was just so disappointed because I thought both uh, Annalie Ashford and Josh Groban had done such a really good job. They have incredible chemistry together. Yeah. And they were building a relationship that felt a lot more like an actual partnership than most other uh, performances I've seen. Like, again, granted first professional (laughs) production that I have watched like you know in person Um, but there is something about that relationship that they were building that I really loved and then that last scene I was just like oh he just like tosses her into the fire and that's it like it there was barely any struggle I the, there was barely like an image of her in the fire like that the lighting effect the lighting in this show look I, I know Natasha Katz is like one of the greatest of all time <laughs> but like come on I'll point like you the, to the chandeliers yeah the l- lighting yeah. in the show brilliant and like they like they do so many cool pictures with her working at that oven and then, but she just like gets tossed in the oven and the door closes immediately behind her. And I'm like, there's not even going to be a cool image. Like, no, nothing. I do think it, it is a show that sort of, it doesn't go out with a bang. Like, no. and, yeah. it, and what's interesting about that is that like, this should be like, if you were reading this story, like it does end on a bang. Like, you know, yeah our two main characters die like it's it you know is just short of the sort of like hamlet ending of like and then everyone dies like but i think because of how it's staged and like how it's i mean not even really how it's staged it's mostly a thing of like how it's done musically i think that it does feel sort of like and we need to wrap up because everyone wants to go home like um i will say i feel like frustrating that is one area where the movie actually wins 
Because yeah. I yeah. think the way he brutally murders the judge in the movie. The first time I ever saw any production, granted, it was community theater. But then even when I watched the pro shot where he's just like, Benjamin Barker, and he's like, Benjamin Barker, and then just slits his throat and throws him down. I'm like, that doesn't oh. feel quite as satisfying. Yeah. Whereas in the movie, I was expecting him to like go stab the guy's neck a ton of times. Um, and, you know, I don't, that is one kind of, and also personally, um, I've always loved that last shot where he's holding her dead body and he, the throat slit. I've always thought that was a good Pretty last good. shot. Yeah. Um, so that is kind of one, because I agree um, that on stage, it literally, do- the ending does feel a bit rushed. Um, though I will say on that same note of lighting, where they lose points for Mrs. Lovett getting thrown in the oven, they gain a ton of points for where Tobias, you can't see him at first. Um, yeah because that was creepy as hell the first time i saw that i was not ready yeah (laughs) Yeah. i was like okay that that part i've always thought was the scariest part um because like in the pro shot he comes out in like a white wig um and is like even more crazed and so it that was way that was that was creepy that was very well done Yeah, yeah it was well done although like i i i i feel I feel bad because I have heard wonderful, wonderful things about Gain Matarazzo's performance as Tobias. And unfortunately, he was out when we saw it. And yeah. his his understudy was very good, but I feel like throughout the rest of the show, he was like kind of admirably, I think, portraying Tobias as like just a regular boy like yeah. it, the in so many of these things he's like he's like in heavy air quotes slow and mm-hmm. he didn't feel that way to me in this and i really liked that but then all of a sudden at the end he went you know zero to crazy in no yeah. time at all and not being able to see him at all throughout the rest of that i think hurt that choice i don't know if that's how Gaten also does it but it's, yeah unfortunately yeah. <laughs> when dan and i saw it which dan and i saw it a few weeks ago yeah right i'm like when was that early august like almost a month ago almost like a month ago two, two three <laughs> a month no, ago by the it time was this two three weeks ago yeah <laughs> yeah um and so we saw most of the original cast is still there as as of even us recording this mm-hmm. um we did not see jordan fisher as anthony we had um What's his name? Daniel Yearwood uh, as Anthony instead. And we did have um, Gaten's understudy, which was very disappointing because I love him very much uh, and was very much looking forward to seeing him in that role. But, you know, to what Dan was saying, I do think it was unfortunate because it definitely felt like, you know, vocally his understudy was great. Yeah. It just, you had that feeling of this is not someone who has had time in this role to figure out how to make the transition from this this is like because i also think tobias is like the most normal character in it for most of the show he's the only Um, one with real logic exactly because even anthony who like is like the only one who is not crazed by the end like the boy is missing logic entirely like that is a himbo boy with not a thought (sighs) behind his eyes it's true clearly 
or he <laughs> wouldn't be like, hey, um, I've decided to marry this girl that I saw uh, on her balcony. You know, like, <laughs> that is dumbass musical theater boy logic right there whereas like tobias actually like has his head on his shoulders um tobias has seen things right but he like he has processed them to some extent (laughs) he is the only person in this whole show who sees a red flag and it's like i should red flag yeah and he's the only one that's like you don't think it's a little weird that you sweeney todd has uh this dead guy's purse you don't think that's right. a little weird? Like, he's like, hmm. <laughs> but I think, so I think that, like, any actor playing that role has to figure out how they make that jump. Or is it a more gradual transition? Or what are they going to do with it? And you can kind of, I, I think it's very understandable that an actor who has not had time in that role has not had time to figure that out necessarily um but yeah I'm, I'm so curious Lex what your thoughts are on it yeah no I was gonna say I will say having seen Gate three times um <laughs> don't rub it in or anything yeah truly <laughs> um I would have to say if I had a nickel for every time a man I have a crush on pretended to die in Gate in Matarazzo's arms <laughs> I would technically have well no I'd have two nickels which isn't a lot but it is weird that it's half a place um yeah. <laughs> The entire time I was watching him, I was like, you have seen Eddie Munson. Like, not just a friend, you have seen Eddie Munson. Um, I will adopt you and teach you meat pies if you can introduce me to Eddie Munson. Anyway. For those who <laughs> don't know, Stranger Things permanently in the culture cabinet. In the, in the culture, culture cabinet. cabinet. <laughs> Eddie Munson, you are not eaten by a Demobats here. Um, <laughs> but, no, I will say, like, I remember thinking the second time I saw it, like, oh, Gaten's Gaten's got his groove. I thought he was good the first time. I can't like really particularly like say like what exactly kind of made me think that, but I will say that he kind of had it's not it's not that he's playing him like he's a bit slow. It's that he's just very naive. Mm. Um and he kind of has this which he is actually, he like made history as the youngest actor to play the role yeah. um, on like Broadway, West End, whatever. Um, it's normally played by like a 30 year old man. And I think that. Oh, right. And he's 20. So. Yeah. And he, and he could pass for like, obviously, right? Like, yeah. Things, he could pass for like 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. The way he does that last scene is a bit less, like, crazed and more, like, severe shock. Mm. Um, Like, he seems not, like, quite crazed, but more, like, dazed. Um, And... Okay. Yeah, it's a bit more, like, you still kind of see the Tobias you've been watching up to the point. Um. It's more of just like someone who's like in such a severe state of shock that, um, but the creepy little humming and and rhyming like that parts, I, I'm telling you that's the scariest part of the show. It freaks me out so much. Um, if I watch the pro shot, I find it even scarier because the freaking white wig, <laughs> yeah, it's so scary. Um, but yeah, yeah it's Which, a bit. I guess how old was the the guy who played him in the um movie he was pretty so that's, he was, that's the other yeah. thing is he's like yeah 12 
right um, but the other kind of because I thought about this too and it's yeah it's just weird because again I love the final shot of the movie of Mm -hmm. him holding her dead body and he's bleeding out but all he does is march up to him and slit his throat and walk away like we have no idea what where to go where did he go we don't know um like what happened to Anthony and Joanna we don't know where Um, are they which I don't know I think maybe it's a little kinder in the movie because Joanna's gonna be Joanna's already pretty um traumatized this is gonna crank it up to nine million um poor himbo Anthony's got a ride for him um but that (laughs) is the thing of like I think that historically because like neil patrick harris plays him in the emma thompson concert version right yeah and and he had already done it like twice before that too yeah Yeah. and like he had to be like at least 40 by the time he did that um (laughs) and so and i um, think even when he was playing him like on stage he was like in his had to be in his 30s like 30s 30s, yeah. yeah yeah um so i think there is something and i don't know i think that it's the same with the movie, right? Where the movie has no indication that he's slow or whatever. He's just a kid. And I think there's kind of this element in Gayton's performance where that's just it. He's just a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, He's, I think he, along with like Joanna and Anthony are supposed to represent like the more innocent um, humanity. Yeah. And yeah, he definitely plays that part up more. I'd say it's interesting, like hearing you say and describe how Gain did it. I get that that was what uh, his understudy was going for, but I think he kind of overcommitted to it, so that instead of, um, like instead of sounding and feeling like someone who was in shock it was someone who had been so shocked that they went over the deep end i could see how if you're and this is this is let me be let me be very very clear understudies you're allowed in the cabinet understudies are one of them all of them like the work of an understudy is too hard and you get too little credit exactly we love you swings are on the top shelf of the cabinet swing come on in um but swings are insane i don't know how they do it yeah but i could say because i don't think granted i know like when josh groban or annalee ashford's out they'll like post about it on social media so i don't know how many times gayton's been out right I would imagine probably not a ton. Um, and and as long as this strike's going to keep going, he's going to be here for a minute uh, until he can go back to playing Dustin. Um, but um, I could see how if you're an understudy and you're understanding a principal role at that and you have like your big moment to shine, right? Mm-hmm. Has finally yeah. hit. I could see how you want to take it. You get a little lost in the moment, and you just like oversell it. I I could. See I also that. feel like that is the kind of acting where it's very easy if you have any nerves of your own for it to yeah. 
amp up to a hundred. Like, but yeah, so like I think he did a really good job with what he was dealing with. Uh, you know, the understudy, I think that obviously I would have loved to have seen Gaten. Um also How old was the understudy. Oh, he's young. Yeah, like, he looked like he was pretty young, like twenties. I yeah. I'd say early twenties. I think Hannah looked him up, and I feel like we remember seeing that, like, maybe he'd been through college, but this is his first Broadway credit. Mm-hmm. Um, he's His Instagram, from what I remember Hannah saying, was, like, mostly full of baseball photos. Um, but we met at the stage door, He and I was like, okay, yeah, you are. He's definitely younger than us. Yeah, he's um, a sweet little child. Yeah, I, I would say early 20s, if n- nothing. I would be shocked if he's over 25. And he definitely played mm-hmm. young on stage. Oh, yeah. Which I also, I think that that role just makes so much more sense with a young boy in it. Someone who is, you know, on at least on the border of being young enough to be, for Mrs. Lovett. Someone who looks seeing, like they're a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. And for Mrs. Lovett to be seeing as a child, like as the son. As an actual dad, child. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, I think it just makes more sense in that way because i've always thought it was a little weird like watching the pro shot of mm-hmm. like this grown-ass man being like there was an ogre or something i'd kill it for you i'm like right oh, like hello <laughs> like yeah and and it's interesting because like i have seen some people like in some productions like play it like you know they're playing someone who is young and they just not because like that you know it's hard to find someone that age who can sing that like yeah. it just is you Especially know a boy right right <laughs> yeah. so it i and i get that take is like okay like the character is you know eight ten twelve years old but we cast a 30 year old person and they will be playing a child but then there are other people who like really just cross over into like, oh no, like th- this this is a boy with mental issues, yeah, or and not a boy, a man with mental issues. Yeah. Well, and I also feel like there's nothing in the script, not really, no, that like really justifies that interpretation, other than him singing like seeming young, which is yeah. Like, okay, well, there's your clear answer. Like, he's more perceptive than most of the people in this in in this here town of London, apparently. Uh I could have completely made this up. So if I did, I'm sorry. But I feel like I saw an interview with Gaten about the role where he talked Mm -hmm. about how historically people will play Tobias as he used the word as a little slow. Mm -hmm. And he said that that wasn't his goal mm. in doing it mm-hmm. um he said obviously he's got some sort of like trauma from being beaten by pirelli mm. which may like could also mm-hmm. suggest like head injuries or something like that but mm. his goal wasn't to necessarily play it that way um and i can see again i hate to say this because i hate to like reduce anyone to another role they've played it felt very much in a lot of scenes like dustin 
was it's very yeah. Dustin's trying to sell you some hair shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, Dustin's like you can definitely you well, that works. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I think you can see like how he ended up in the role. Like yeah. he plays that type of earnest character very well. Mm-hmm. Who is, you know, straddling that line of naive, but also logical and like, you know, can can think things through better than you know it's it's not an Antony type character it's I think there's a there's a clear difference here in the type of naivety that we're seeing yeah well and it's I just I just checked the um the like official like you know description character descriptions for the show and for Tobias it says a simpleton there you go so like that's how the character was conceived but I think it really just does play better as a child mm-hmm. than yeah. or at least a, a fully young, grown man. Right, yes. at least a young yeah. man. Like yeah. I think teenager. Yeah. I think even yeah. you could play it as a like t- early 20 something mm-hmm. kid, you know, and like, who is and coming give... out of an abusive relationship with his employer. Mm-hmm. And I think it still makes a lot of sense. Whereas yeah. and I also feel like there's some how do I put this nicely? There's some political correctness now around like yeah. describing a character as a simpleton that when the show was written. Mm. Um, you know. Yeah. yeah. I will um I will say. Um Dustin Henderson would one hundred percent look at Steve Harrington and go, if there was no go <laughs> I'd fight it for you. Okay, no, imagine imagine season one Dustin saying that to Nancy. No, there's nothing I want to do for you, Nancy. Now I now I want Dustin in like a Cockney accent to be like, turn around, look at what (laughs) you see. Now I need to see um Kitten and Joe Kiri duet <laughs> on this song. <laughs> like Joe Kiri for Mrs. Lovett 2K23. But they have to be like in character as Justin and Steve. There you go. It's that what's the Ben Affleck movie? I already forgot what it's called. Jersey Girls? <laughs> yeah, Something it's like Jersey that. Girls. And they're like, is this appropriate for children? And Steve Harrington's like, it's what my son wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I would pay the big bucks for that. I would pay oh a million. God. That's, however, I will say, uh, <laughs> if this strike goes on and on and on and on forever, um, which it should not pay people. No. Um, mm-hmm. But say it did. Um, mm-hmm. I Joe see Carey as Anthony would be stunt casting. That would make sense. It would hit. If we that wanted to keep the Stranger work. Things trend going. That would work. Yep. Be- because okay, let let's talk about Anthony and Johanna because let's go. Because oh <laughs> my god, are there a pair of stupider characters in all of musical theater? I don't think so. And yet Johanna is one of the most beautiful songs ever written. It's the I... quartet. Le- oh. le- the quartet. Don't get me started on the quartet. How freaking brilliant. City on fire. <laughs> but like, just like the solo version of oh. Johanna is oh, yeah. like, 
you know that these people that this guy is an idiot (laughs) you know like you know that he's stupid for doing it and like they couldn't make the romeo and juliet thing any more obvious but he sings that song like it doesn't you could be the worst singer in the world and you sing that song and i'd be singing sitting there going like oh my god this love this nothing should stop this love when i went to glass house tavern and sang it for the entire bar That song is what <laughs> elevates Antony. It does. Like in in the list of like musical theater himbos from the main canon, this is why he gets his spot above Freddie in My Fair Lady. He's still <laughs> below Marius in Les Mis because he doesn't do anything as like, you know, as, <laughs> he as doesn't do any, anything stupid but heroic. <laughs> right. He doesn't do anything as noteworthy as fighting in a doomed rebellion, but he would have he he honestly probably would but i will say i was this time watching it i was impressed upon the fact that like pre because i feel like whenever i think about the character of anthony i'm just focused on like anthony and joanna and i was very aware of the fact that like when we first see him it's him being like hey sweetie todd so glad that we're friends now isn't the world amazing sweeney todd's like no sweeney todd is literally like the hole in the world in the big black pit it is giving when a freshman talks to a senior (laughs) (laughs) i do love that like obviously no it's giving sweeney todd right which is like the true Mm -hmm. opening there is something about the way that this very dark show opens with this naive little sailor like i have sailed the world the world (laughs) just like swinging his little arms (laughs) um and i mean i don't know like my obviously my (laughs) um the antony in my mind forever was jamie campbell bauer um and i feel like one of my biggest qualms with the movie is that Anthony and Joanna have no story in the movie. They cut all their numbers, yeah. which to be fair, I I physically can't picture Jamie Campbell Bauer doing that. Like she said, she'd marry me Sunday. Da, 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 da. Like I physically can't picture him doing that. Um would love to see him try. But I yeah, I'd like to see it though. <laughs> I would like to see it, but I physically can't picture it. Um uh, <laughs> And I feel like, so if you kind of take that out, I think that kind of next other um, emblematic Antony is uh, Victor Garber. And the thing about Victor Garber is that I can watch Victor Garber in, I think the pro shot was done in, I think, 1981. I can watch 1981 Victor Garber and I'm still picturing Mr. Andrews from Titanic. Um. (laughs) There's literally the, nothing Andrew Gar- or Victor Garber can do that I'm not going to be thinking about Mr. Andrews from Titanic. But he has literally looked like that, like yep. his whole his professional whole life. life. His, um, the I only mean, thing that has changed has been his hair. Yeah, it's better the if I'm thinking thing. of him that way because otherwise, wig. otherwise, I'm thinking of him as like Daddy Warbucks, but as Anthony, it's yeah. weird. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, there's levels. <laughs> and I realize, I think this musical. Because this is the thing, right? Is and this particular production got me thinking about like the real themes beyond the obvious, right? The 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 obvious themes of the show are the dangers of revenge and vengeance and whatever. But I think there's these just kind of interesting, more nuanced themes of like you have 
Sweeney Todd, who at his helm is now convinced that like the entire world is as guilty as Judge Turpin. Um, and kind of what mirrors that is Anthony and Joanna, who despite Joanna's trauma, Anthony has never had a bad day in his life. He's got good hair. He hits good high notes. He's just a little sailor sailing seas. Anthony always has the best day ever. Anthony always. Uh, but Johanna only has the best day Joanna. ever when Anthony looks at her. Yep. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he's he's seen Peru. He's had like, he's had some good paella. He's like, <laughs> no, um, he's seen Stonehenge. He's seen the Seven Wonders. Um, and but Joanna is kind of situated between this deep trauma, and I feel like part of the problem is we don't have time to get into that though. Is there's always this kind of le- surface level of like, no, this is really effed up that this man raped her mother, sent his her father off to prison, and is now taking her as his adopted daughter, but is also planning to marry her. That's pretty effed up, but all it really serves outside of the kind of mirror, because another thing that I love that I noticed on one of the other times I saw it is that when Joanna is on stage, there's much lighter colors and the stage is a lot more lit than when um, Mm -hmm. Sweeney and Mrs. Lovett are on stage. Um, And that's all. I mean, it's very... I feel like a lot of Sondheim shows just have that, though, where there's a one female character where, like, she's still considered a principal character, but she's just kind of like, we don't have time to get into that. We don't have time to unpack all that. Um, (laughs) And that story just, to me, has always felt, even with, like, again, with the movie, you assume they run off because they don't, or maybe they come downstairs and are in for a shock of their life. We'll never know. But there is kind of something about, like, the fact that they just watch that all happen. That they, like, walk in on all this. Mm-hmm. And then that's just that's, it. It, it feels a little underbaked. What what really gets me is that I feel like in so many ways, she's actually the most interesting character in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Especially when you add onto the layers and, like, yes, this is one of my, like, niche hyperfixation topics as a historian. But, like the fact that in this time period a lot of women were being institutionalized in these lunatic asylums as they were calling them because they weren't agreeing with their husbands because a man wanted to get rid of them because you know they wouldn't agree to something and it was sort of the thing to do the historic side i've been working at has a woman who was put into an institution because her husband got tired of her and you know all of the research on these women shows that like so many of them who went in with no like no disorder other than like the disorder of I don't agree with this man in my life um came out with at the very least severe PTSD and obviously like she's already dealing with all this stuff from this very oppressive childhood um and this weird relationship with her like father figure and I'm like, why did we not think that that was what we should be unpacking here? Because I think that there could have been, like, not to be like, (laughs) I could have written a better musical than Sondheim, but, like, I think you could have done something really cool with unpacking how this traumatic event, like, you know, affected 
Sweeney on the one hand and Johanna on the other and sort of mirror like the fact that he's really driven to revenge and she is still sort of trying to take this road of lightness and of of goodness and you know everyone talks a lot about how like all of the Cosette stuff in Les Mis is really underbaked and all the Cosette and Marius stuff got like way cut down from the book for the musical but seeing this production I was like oh my god that is so much better than what we get here because at least we have some recognition of the trauma that these characters have been through Mm -hmm. and the fact that you know at the end of the show they are the ones carrying on the legacy of everyone who has come before them and I feel like you know like you were saying Lex this show ends and we don't know what's happening to them we have no concept of if they're gonna be together if they're not if she's gonna be okay in any sense of the term I and I really liked a lot of what the actress playing Chuan was doing I think that Mm -hmm. she's really clearly put some thought into it I think it's I'm mm, afraid of mispronouncing her last name but I think it's Maria Bilbao um and I really like what she was doing especially the way that her movements are very bird-like like there's a flittiness to her Mm -hmm. that definitely mirrors the whole thing of the green finch and linnet bird and all of that and you can see that she like this actress at least and and you know maybe I should give credit to the director as well though have figured out how can we use her body language to portray the trauma she has been through because the actual book is doing us no favors um yeah I think I think like the treatment of those two characters her and Antony is the musical's greatest flaw because it introduces too much to not unpack it and it's also very and it I mean it's not to go this route but like both her and Lucy are very much those characters where it's like we're gonna make really shitty things happen to our female characters to give motivations to our male characters and that's my thing is like it's it's (laughs) way more entertaining isn't it to watch some Mm -hmm. guy going on a killing spree to but at the same time (laughs) let's let's light this candle because my friends and i talked about it my friend had seen the movie um Mm -hmm. a while ago um that i'd seen it with the third time i saw it um (laughs) but uh we talked about we kind of dissect and what i like about this production is i feel like maybe more so than other productions of this show i feel like it leaves open or it opens the door to conversation about these characters because I think mm-hmm. every single person from obviously Josh and Annalie, but even down to Judge Turpin and um, Beetle Bamford. Um, this is um, this was my favorite interpretation of Beetle Bamford I've ever seen, um, which I do love. Tim- Timothy Small was kind of made for that kind of role. <laughs> yeah. Um, sle- sleazy, sleazy sidekick to the villain. That's I mean... Timothy Small. Um, he's basically playing the Harry Potter character yeah, again. He's, like, he's it, Wormtail. He's Wormtail. Yeah, like, um, and it works. But, um, but John Rapson's performance as Peter Bamford is actually like one of my favorites in the show. Um, I but thought he was so brilliant. He's so funny, and he's still that slimy sleazy, but like a bit more subtle, which in my mind makes it worse. Um, but in well, because case, he's so like. He's so hoity-toity. Yeah. But, like, he's... 
he strikes me as like the wait what is this 17th century 19th i think i think it's 1840 it's 18 okay so 19th century but like he's a 19th century hipster yeah like oh you you still like mozart oh that's so cute you know like (laughs) right yeah (laughs) that was my favorite that's my favorite um but no my friends and i had talked about it though and i think it i think it's a valid question did sweeney care about actually finding joanna like was he at the point because at least the way josh does it which i don't even think this is a josh thing i think this is the way the book is written i think Mm -hmm. in his mind he's from the moment he's killed the judge he's gone any yeah any trace of benjamin barker is gone yeah and i don't think he actually because if so why was or if not why was he not asking because anthony was supposed to bring her there and he knew that he knew that was the plan right why is he not asking where are they seemingly you know, he's he's not, like, super fond of Antony, but he seems to have no issue with this kid. You know, and he, he wants to help him. his life. He wants yeah. to help him. Uh. So why is he so against Antony marrying Joanna that he's willing to, like, screw him over and tell George Turpin about this, knowing the, the like, consequences it could have for her? If he actually really cared about reuniting with his daughter, he would have been like, Antony, let me tell you a little story. Um, let's all three of us abscond somewhere, you know, like it. Well, so I, but no, I, I think that's part of it. Like he's also he's already too far. Right. Like I don't think he cares. For that. <laughs> and that's one of the things that like to me was so heartbreaking about this particular production was that more so than I think any other Sweeney I've seen with Josh Groban, like I really saw Benjamin Barker, especially throughout the first act Mm -hmm. and even like through most of the second. And then as soon, like, like you said, like once he kills the judge, it's like, Oh now you know it's like i am become death destroyer of worlds <laughs> he is like full-on gone like there is no yeah. more benjamin barker and I, and, I think there's yeah. also there's this hint and i even before we went to see the show dan i've been listening to like the little bits you know that they've been releasing from mm-hmm. the new album and listening to the joanna quartet there is this line that sweeney has and i looked it up so they'll have it right and he says and then we'll think of you i guess until the day i die i think i miss you less and less as every day goes by my favorite line in any musical theater song ever i want it tattooed on my arm it's so interesting that like oh it's such an interest like what an interesting thing to say and I really do think it speaks to the fact that as every day goes by, he becomes less Benjamin Barker. Mm-hmm. Like, he is gone completely down this road of madness because of this obsession with vengeance. And I think that, like, it's also the fact that his vengeance is not motivated in any sort of... uh sense of this is a dangerous man he needs to be removed this is you know he's still preying on people today 
it it has it has a tinge of like he is motivated because this is a man who stole his wife Mm -hmm. in the same way that a child is motivated to like get back at a kid who takes their toy and I think that this production does some really interesting things. And obviously, like, Sweeney Todd, in any iteration, is not, like, a a morally sound character. But I think this production really does play around with whether or not you're supposed to be rooting for him. I completely agree. Mm-hmm. In I very think, interesting ways. Yeah, I think that one of the, um, one of the reasons why I think some people were slightly disappointed with this was that it was sort of touted as being like the first like fully mounted revival since the original and it like you're just not going to get the crazy insane set that they had in the original today but that original set that was you know like the giant warehouse machinery of a meat grinder something that that did um was sort of add the element of uh class commentary to the show like it's very much about how like we are in a slaughterhouse we're in the places where like these people like when they say city when bigger women singing city on fire like it's because it's the industrial revolution like this is what's happening and i think that one of the smart things about this production is that they really played up the differences between the the lower class characters particularly in uh sweeney and mrs lovett who are like working class small business owners shall we say like they're entrepreneurs (laughs) and then you have like beetle bamford and judge turpin in who are patently ridiculous in this yeah. production like they are so foppish even the judge like it was and it was the first time that i really like obviously what he's doing with johanna is like icky like it's super icky and weird but this was the first time that i've seen it and when he first says that you know, that that's what he's planning to do, that I recoiled and at the same time went, you stupid, stupid man. Yep. <laughs> like, I usually just recoil and go like, ew. Right. But this time I was like, oh, oh no, you're an idiot. And I I almost feel like there's a sense of when it was originally done, it was really about the way that the upper class oppresses the lower class and grinds them under their boot and all of that. And I think now with this production, there's a little bit more of a sense of this is also about the folly of the 1%. This is about... It's like not to get too political, but like it's about men like Elon Musk, or like they believe they are, they believe that they are too untouchable. They believe that they are the masters of the universe, that everything bends to their will, but it does not. Yeah, and it doesn't. Like, and there is a sense still of like you know the like (laughs) you know the proletariat will rise. Like, yeah, (laughs) but I also think there's an interesting sense too of pulling out a bit more of the 
personal like psychoanalysis of these characters as people not just like allegorical figures for their class and I think that that is part I think too in because of the fact that like we were saying earlier Annalie Ashford and Josh Groban have insane chemistry and there is a real sense of partnership there and a real sense of the fact that these are two people who are not just business partners but are getting some sense of comfort from each other and They're doing the know, deeds yeah. yeah and i think that like it you know there's an an element of it where like sweetie is doing all of this stuff but mrs lovett almost feels like the worst person here yeah um because certainly by the end of the show like right with the with the fine you know with the reveals happening of mm-hmm. of her role in what happened to Lucy yeah um and how calculated this relationship is with Sweeney Todd like all of that um I think and also I think it because she does a really good job of seeming genuinely in a relationship with him not just sort of this like sycophantic fawning that some love its play it as it makes her turn on tobias seem like it comes even more sort of out of nowhere um because we perceive her as a character capable of love it's it's really (laughs) incredible like the way they um the way that annalee plays that not while i'm around moment when she realizes what she has to do i i've seen you like i feel like every mrs lovett can play that song in that moment differently Mm -hmm. but what what i saw her do was something that i hadn't really seen before was like she was she's putting it off and she's like no 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 we're not gonna go there but then by the end of the song she has like she she feels sick Mm -hmm. like she knows what she has (laughs) to do and she's like oh god like like i really like you like i like you and i don't want to do this but and i think that's the thing that makes it feel worse yeah you feel that she does have genuine affection for him it's not like a you were here and you were convenient to what i needed thing which i do feel like some mrs lovitz are a little quicker to be like well this is what i gotta do yeah Um, whereas you feel that she does have this affection for him yeah and and it and it goes deeper than Mm -hmm. just like oh you're a nice boy which yeah. is how some love it to do it. Like, no, like, because I feel like they all start, you know, now I'm around with being like, don't, like, don't worry, like, brush it I off. There it's fine. Feels but then to she. Me, like, there's a real element of the fact that, like, Tobias is the perfect missing piece in her playing house with yeah. Sweeney Todd in that here's, you know, she wanted Lucy's life and here's the child, which is the last piece, which again, I think works better with a Tobias is younger because he and and uh joan are seemingly around the same age and so it slots in well that like here's her you know it's the whole by the sea thing it's her playing house with him and then for her to make that choice feels much more like wicked 
Yeah. Can it I say hurts that... more than other mm -hmm. moments I've seen. There was, this was another change um, between previews and I guess like having seen it post-opening where the first time I saw it, um, when she does that whole thing where she realizes like after the song is done and she realizes that she has to kill him and she's like, you know what I was thinking about is how you like to go help me in the big house. She like was like holding back sobs. Um in between that little spiel like she would have to like take a deep breath in between sentences like she was like forcing herself to say it um mm. and the only other real interpretation i've seen take that approach is helena bottom carter in the movie um and kind of also not to like jump backwards in topics but something you said that like also um earlier that got me thinking was what I find really what I realized um is a weak point in how Tim Burton approached this story with the movie mm. is <clears throat> he wanted to make clearly he wanted to make a horror film right and again I stand by if that's what he wanted to do he did a pretty decent job but there's something about, I will say, Alan Rickman is still my favorite Judge Turpin. And I'm pretty sure he always will be. Alan but if there's something that, like... So. What? Rip. Rip. It's my favorite everything. So, you Very know. true. Um, Alan Rickman, R.I.P. You're... There's always... Forever in the culture cabinet. Forever, Forever in the culture, culture cabinet. cabinet. <laughs> um, there is a thing, though, where I, I, I thought about this the first time I'd, I saw the show was there is something about that I actually don't really understand why he felt the need to where it is this thing where when you look at like the pro shot of the original production you have Beetle Bamford and Judge Turpin and they're more so Beetle Bamford is talking more in this like comically posh type of voice of like yeah. oh sir like that sort of thing and right? they kind of did that in this too yeah um Whereas, like, in the movie, they told Timothy Spall not to wash his hair. Um, and, and he, like, every time it shows the flashback of what happens to Lucy and it cuts to him just, like, staring, I'm just like, eh. um, yeah. But they wanted to, like, turn up. They wanted you to know these are bad guys. These are bad, bad, bad guys. Um, he is going to beat Antony up and... Judge Turpin's going to offer him his porn collection. Um, and it's just this thing of like, I think it does a disservice though. Because I think they make, I think the movie makes Judge Turpin and Beetle Bamford like so disgusting um, to kind of atone for how flat their Sweeney Todd is. Because take any take any controversies around any particular actors movie Sweeney Todd is very flat even if admittedly vocally he sounds really good on my friends I just feel like it scratches my brain just right um but, but like there's very little interpretation happening there right like he's yeah and like zero. if his my friends is okay then his epiphany is best Not 
not talked about. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's yeah. just wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like My Friends is the only song that that Sweeney Todd pulls off. Um, yeah. But, and so I feel like you have, when you have a Sweeney Todd that's going to be completely flatlined, then mm. you have to have a super creepy judge and beetle. Or otherwise you're going to be like, and, I mean, obviously, like, what they did is horrible. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, if okay. Yeah. If, well, like, I mean, to... sells the, whereas almost, like, with Josh's interpretation, it's like we said earlier, like, you're almost kind of, like, on his side. Where it's like, you know what? This guy's, like, a freaking murderer. And yet, you know what? I, I want, like, what I love about Josh's epiphany is it was the first time I ever saw that song done. And I do love that song. Where it truly justified the name the song title mm. yes because i feel like many other sweeney's just go for it as like you can tell this is just what they've been building up inside of him that this yeah. is building up inside of him but this is a real moment of epiphany for him um and so it's just I, I don't know it's i my most favorite thing about this production is the fact that i feel like every single character down to the ensemble members have done that thing that they told you to do in high school theater where you sat down and you wrote out your motivations and you wrote out like what drives you um and they looked in the mirror and they said i'm gonna go get revenge on my wife and child um that's what josh does before every show you can tell um but like every single character is like bringing some level of humanity to their role whereas i feel like a lot of other interpretations because it's very vaudeville-esque right because it's that victorian gothic feel that like you go for kind of caricature almost um whereas every person in this show feels a bit more human Mm -hmm. um i think that's actually like the brilliant thing about annalee ashford's performance is that she manages to turn mrs lovett into like really damn close to like a full-on human being and she does that by just making her horny as fuck for (laughs) sweeney todd which like when you have josh groban yep as Sweetie Todd and like then I can't in, blame you in some really like fantastic looking eyeliner like <laughs> that that is the obvious choice you can also <laughs> imagine like you can also kind of see because of what his Sweeney Todd is like like I know what his Benjamin Barker looked like and I'm like yeah girl I understand you setting up this plan years in advance yeah that <laughs> like, if yeah. you yeah. ever confirms, 15 years thinking about him. that man yeah. like <laughs> Like, look, I, I have known for like years that she is a demented genius, <laughs> but like the her her worst pies in London, like so the way she's just like randomly humping things, <laughs> and yeah. like her her she is one of those actors that just has like a a rhythm to her that is like just hers that it's unmistakably hers you kind of know how she's gonna spin a line but she doesn't quite 
respect. It always has this like off kilter element that just really, really works. And there, that is my favorite, a little priest that I think I've oh, ever God. heard God. or seen because you really feel the two of them like going at each other. And this was the first time that I like really paid attention to the lyrics and that they are like, they're picking people that are high above them in the social economic food chain yep. all of those jobs it's a poet a priest politician judge all these it, lawyer it brought home for me the fact that like yes obviously sweeney todd was convicted of a crime he didn't yes. do and sent off it to a be in prison but but Mrs. Lovett is also a woman trying to run a business that is failing yeah. and is is strapped for cash whenever this starts. She is also, you know, a victim of capitalism, let's say. Yeah. Like, and I think, yeah, I found that really interesting. And I also got the sense in their little priest for the first time that these are two incredibly smart people. Yes. Who are incredibly in sync with each other. In a way that you know that, like, Benjamin Barker maybe wasn't actually this in sync with his wife. Like, (laughs) this is his actual, like, match in many ways. Yes. Especially as the two of them sort of push each other further into darkness. There's an almost Macbeth-y something to the relationship. As Very she is lady pouring Macbeth. him yes. further into darkness. And I think that, you know, like you said, the two of them together in that song too, what I really got out of a Little Priest was also how much delight they take in each other. Like, they think each other are so damned funny. Yeah. And... I, I, uh, everything sort of clicked into place about a lot of the show for me watching that scene mm. and about how it's so easy for them to fall into this and how she gets so deluded about what their relationship is. And I think there's also something quite interesting about the fact that, you know, if Annalie Ashford had a nickel for each time she's been in a Sondheim show where she plays a woman trying to figure out how to deal with the fact mm-hmm. that she comes second to a man's obsession with something. Oh. She'd have two nickels, but it's weird that it happened twice. Um, and I do think that like there is an interesting path creatively from her dot in Sunday in the Park to her Mrs. Lovett in terms of the desperation to get attention and the you know absolute horniness for this man (laughs) while recognizing that she is partially only useful to him because of the thing that means she can never come first to him and i think that that is such an interesting dynamic that we see play out and again i do kind of that is part of why i wish so that we got more antony and joanna because i think it would be very interesting to see a bit more of that paralleled because like joanna and and tobias are the only people in the show maybe who are making like who who are who are morally pretty sound um i guess antony too but like he he just has no logic so but there was a real sense i got in this of the fact that 
Joanna doesn't really give a shit about Antony. He is just her ticket out. Mm-hmm. And he, she is in some ways much more justifiably, don't get me wrong, but using him in the same way that Sweeney Todd is using Mrs. Lovett. Like, there is something to this where, like, does she know anything about this guy? Does she actually like him? Or is he just preferable to this cage she's in? Or is he just an opportunity? Right. Is he, you know... In the movie, and obviously, never outside of the last scene, we never see them talk. The first time we see yeah. the two of them talk to yeah. each other is in that last scene. Like, and I think that, again, obviously, it's very justifiable. Like, a girl in her shoes, yeah, do what you gotta do to get out of there. Mm-hmm. But I do think that that's like an interesting parallel between her and her father, both of whom, and I also, I don't know, I just think there's interesting things too with like her ending up in the madhouse while we are seeing her father slip into madness Mm -hmm. fully. And seeing what happened to her mother. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think that there's some really interesting stuff there that this production does its best to get at even though it's not there enough in the script for them to like really deliver on it. I also yeah. think going back to um again like Josh and Annalise chemistry, like something mm-hmm. both of them do very well is and I think it's a testament to who they are as performers. They both know when to be in the spotlight and they both know when they need to pull back. Like, he knows when to let her lead, and she knows when to let him lead. And there's a perfect push-pull going on between... And I think a little priest is a perfect example of it. Is, um, you know, like, they're both kind of riffing off each other. But there's moments where she's giving more. There's moments where he's giving more. And it's... um, I don't know. I think it's a testament to, like, the mark of a good performer. Um, And... I don't know. I just, I can't talk about how much I love the two of them. They're yeah. probably like both, again, Josh Groban's my, I think even Annalie Ashford still, I think even takes it above Angela Lansbury, which I do love Angela Lansbury, yeah. don't get me wrong. I just think their interpretation of it is just so, it's just so good. It's what frankly carries the show. Yeah. Um, I think there's also like, one of the things I really noticed in it is that they have a level of physical comfort with each other Mm -hmm. that goes beyond what most just castmates have and I think it's part of what really sells that relationship and also sort of justifies a lot of what Sweeney Todd is doing there um like not to why have I referenced My Fair Lady multiple times on this? But huh? not to reference that again, but like there's almost a sense of the whole like he's like, I've grown accustomed to her face. Yeah. Um, like he's just gotten yeah. very comfy with having her there. Yeah. And that sort of is why I think it also makes sense that he doesn't turn on her sooner because this is a super paranoid dude. Like it's kind of weird that he doesn't question that sooner than he does. Um but yeah, I, God, they just sell all of it so well. So well. I, like, truly, I want to know, like, for both of them, like, what was their entire process into finding this character? What have they filled in story-wise? Because these are, I was also very struck watching it, that, like, these are characters that we are getting very little backstory for. 
Like, like what was Mrs. Lovett doing? What what like, was she doing? She's like, yeah. oh, I always like, had a fondness for you. Like, how'd you know him? Right. Like, what? And also, like, why did were her meat pies ever good? Right. And if also, they haven't been, how in the hell has she stayed open for this long? Also, like, I'm sorry, is there more <laughs> to it? Like, why was George, George, bleh, Judge Turpin so into Lucy? Like, is there more to this? Like, I mean, I really, in that case, I really feel like, nah, he just saw a pretty woman and wanted her. But here's my but thing. Like... How did he ever see her? With the class difference between them. Was Lucy originally from a wealthier family and married down to Sweeney Todd or was to Benjamin he, Barker? Was Judge Trippin coming into Benjamin Barker's barbershop and his wife was just like chilling? Right. I like, mean, yeah, that's that's kind of how I, I guess I never really thought about it. But I think in the in back the, of my mind, that's what I've always assumed is that like he saw her there because he knew who Benjamin Barker was. Like, right. he's there to Benjamin like, Barker. <laughs> In the movie, he's just, like, staring at her through her window, which is just weird. Which is weird! <laughs> like, I feel like, I'm like, I wanted more backstory here. Like, give give me a little more motivation. Um, yeah. Although that does make a nice, really weird parallel with how Anthony first sees Johanna. This is true. <laughs> right! Which, okay, but again, it's weird if we're supposed to accept that as being, like, all good and rosy fine. Yeah. Like, because again, I just, I don't think that the musical, and this is no fault to the production currently running, but I don't think the musical is, like, entirely certain of some things, including, like, what we're meant to think of Antony. Um, yeah, it's one of those things where, like, it it's a very fine line between this is a, you know, sort of, like, tropey character mm-hmm. i mean like you know this based on a penny dreadful after all like we have to have the hero at some point because that we need one but mm-hmm. they need the romantic hero but like this isn't about him it's not about right. that romance um <laughs> you know so like the, there is this fine line between making him a generic sort of trope of a character and giving him you know a unique interesting story and i think it i think like he's like one of maybe i yeah well yeah i mean like him and johanna i guess are kind of victims of this like airing more on the side of these are the generic lovers And they're not really sort of given that magnificent specificity that all the other characters are. And like, particularly in this production, because I can't believe we haven't talked about Ruthie Ann Miles yet. I was going to say, we cannot have a conversation without talking about Ruthie Ann Miles. How freaking brilliant her beggar woman was. And like, if if it was just the, the shifting accents... That would have been enough. Yeah. But like, no, she truly went all out. 
this woman and like every time she was on stage i was like give me more of her like why can't she be the narrator of this thing if fuck the ensemble just have her do all the ballads of sweeney todd like i want her yeah. to tell the story i so she's you could not take your eyes off her the the constant like muttering and laughing like under her breath as she exits her physicality both her and Annalie the physicality of their performances is just incredible incredible I will be thinking about Annalie Ashford when she like does that bow down the the steps I will be thinking um, about that until the day I die. The thing <laughs> I keep thinking about is when she's on the floor and does and the she little, like, like rolls s- around in the circles. Spin. Yes. Yep. Um, killed me. I literally think about that on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah, all the time. But like, but Ruthie, Ruthie and Miles right there with her doing all a- this incredible physical work. And what a strange gosh. role to try to figure out. Like, yeah. And, and nearly impossible and somehow and that somehow. and yet that is the clearest i have ever seen that character mm-hmm. <laughs> i am so obsessed with during joanna quartet when God. she does the it's the second time that she mm-hmm. sings her little part um where she's like quick must run and tell um Tell it to the beetle in place as well, where she's running up to people and like shaking them, and they yeah. just see right through her. I'm like, oh, like I love the symbolism in that. Um, the changing of accents again, it's the that weird little dance she does in the end scene before he comes and slits her throat. Like, you can tell that like she's remembering where she is and she's realizing she's been in this room before. Like, it's just, yeah. Ugh. It's so yeah. good. It's so good. It the Watching... way that realization and it, it makes yeah. it even more heartbreaking, especially mm-hmm. when we get to the end. Like, oh watching her sort of come in and out of herself. Yeah. And like, oh my god, she just she keeps you on your toes too, because there is a real sense of like, you know, not being able to predict what anything could happen. Yeah. yeah, and it's God, she's so good. But and the way that her performance makes made me like even more frightened for Johanna when she was being shipped off to the madhouse because, like, yep. well, we've seen what happens there. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and I I think that you know there is something very interesting in the in the sort of parallels there and i think the production does sort of make as much as they can of it um but yeah i think i mean they're it's really hard to find a weak link in this entire cast like josh and annalee are so great but then there's like ruthie and miles obviously i didn't get to see him but then there's gate and giving it his all um and this ensemble too is killing it 110 percent. i could not do a sweeney todd podcast about this production without mentioning the fact that i did not know 
that the famed hot ensemble man of Hades Town, the famed hot ensemble man of Frozen, <laughs> was in this. And I will admit, I was watching that first act, and I was like, <laughs> "That man, who is he?" Um, and I looked it up, and I was like, "Oh, it's him." Okay, so the man who shout out Reeve Carney. Shout out to <laughs> Timothy Hughes. Um, he plays my second dream role in this show. My dream role. <laughs> is Sweeney Todd. I don't know why this is, but my second dream, I want to be the ensemble member that goes up after the contest and is like, Mr. Todd, do you have an establishment? <laughs> because really, if you think about it, that's actually one of the most integral characters. Because what I if mean, he didn't ask that? Really. Maybe he wouldn't it's be true. killing people. I mean, I mean for, for those... Those lives. For those listening, uh, before we started recording we did have a long discussion about which characters we all should play in sweetie todd um we decided i am i am sweetie todd yeah um i got enough bitterness we'll be portraying the role of pirelli uh (laughs) i am adolfo pirelli Do you know my favorite line in the entire show? It is so funny to me. It is funny in the movie. It is funny in this production. Is um, I forget like the full because that's a song that is classic Sondheim as the contest mm. with Pirelli's but 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 classic Sondheim. But when he says something along the lines of, um, he says he got to shave the face of the Pope, and he says Sweeney would say it was just a cardinal, but nope. It was a da pope. This is my favorite. Yeah. It cracks me up every time. I, I do enjoy that line too. The it was a da pope. It was a da pope. It's just so funny. And like he would say it was only a cardinal. It's so funny to me. I just, it is, I do think that this production really brings the best out of this score mm-hmm. in terms of how clever so much of it is. And I think that part of that is that, like, they let a lot of the jokes in it land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think that's one issue with that people do with Sondheim is that they play things too straight. And the audience, it's kind this of like is... Shakespeare. Sometimes yes. with Sondheim, you've got to, like, tell the audience where the joke is. Um... And I think that, like, that is one of the things that they do super well in this. Is that I, this is this is yeah. the first time that I've been like, okay, yes, the first act should end with a little priest, not with Epiphany. Yeah, because it's so sensational, and it's because the two of them are spending the whole thing rolling with laughter. It like takes you and the whiplash of the intensity yeah and you look at like yep. josh's performance of like the in- the man's intensity of epiphany i will speak so about it high. till my the God. end of my life right before i die before i see the pearly gates i'm gonna see josh groban at a 90 degree angle uh growling and <laughs> i'm gonna be like wow <laughs> right um, into the footlights yep um <laughs> I like I don't know there's something about oh his epiphany is so good but like the intensity of it and then just to completely what two minutes later be doing this comical number it's just like it it's this show's a ride it is a ride yeah and I do think that the fact that he like is able to play that 
so funny and like he knows it's funny and he's laughing really in some ways makes that intensity seems so much scarier yeah and the fact that because you don't feel like you know where he's gonna be again like with Ruthie and Miles it's that like sense of not being able to predict their next step I find sometimes you have these Sweeney's who play the whole thing as sort of very brooding the entire way through and I like that he has these lighter moments because again it does give you a bit of the sense of Benjamin Barker but also there is something even more frightening I think in him sort of having this like just teetering on maniacal laughter as he's coming up with all the ways he's going to murder people. Like he thinks it's so funny that they're going to bake these people into pies. Um, And that is scarier than if he's playing that more straight. (laughs) Yeah. And I will say having seen again, I hate to sound obnoxious. Having seen the show three times, um, (laughs) twice within 48 hours, which that's on me just being, stupid but um um, my friend announced to the theater that i'd been there 48 hours prior and people in the theater were like are they gonna name a seat after you and i was like i hope so um (laughs) and i literally said to this one older woman who said that she'd seen it before but josh was out that night so that's why she was back um Mm -hmm. i literally said to this woman the only other show i've seen this many times was great comet and I was like, I don't know if it's a Josh Groban thing. And my friend is staring at me and I go, it is a Josh Groban thing. <laughs> um, but one thing I noticed between the times that I saw it was something which you think about how many times they've done this show. And you think about like not even just in the time that it's been open, like rehearsals. The fact that they're able to tell those jokes like it's still the very first time they've heard those jokes yeah, is really because I bet in their mind Annalise, like, with or without its privates, like, you can tell in her mind, she's like, Ugh. but they both are yeah. acting like this is the funniest thing they've ever heard. And it's that meme of, like, those two guys cracked up so hard they can't breathe. <laughs> yeah. and it's like, yeah. why the teacher separated me and my best friend. It's like, that's, <laughs> yep. or like, when, it's, it's that giving, energy. Like, yes, exactly. It's giving, like, when you were at a sleepover, when you were oh my younger, God. and, like, you nope. reached the point of, like, the wee hours of the morning, and suddenly everything was the funniest thing. Yep, like it's just, it's so good. I want like Ugh. a pro shot of this entire production, but if they couldn't give me that, or even like they've been edging us with this cast album, um, yeah, yeah <laughs> truly. And we have we have a real date of when it's gonna drop, but the way they've just been like, I literally thought they were gonna drop a song a week until we had the whole album. And it was going to be New Year's Eve and we were going to be ringing in the new year with ladies and their sensitivities. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the one that I would like for them to do if they want to um, is I would love for them to at least at a minimum give us the cast album recording of A Little Priest. Give Please. me the music video. Yeah, I want a full music. Put it on VH1. Yes. Please. I'm pretty sure that'll be the first time Josh Groban ever made it to VH1. <laughs> like, and I don't want it. It doesn't have to be like a fancy thing. Literally just film them during a performance. That's all I One need. One camera. Film them. Yeah, like, honestly, we're not condoning doing anything illegal. But if <laughs> but you I wanted to be bold... And record it on your. 
I love slime. That's all I'm saying. Send it to me. <laughs> if anyone has a I, to, if I anyone can has a video use, that shows you how to make slime, send it my way. <laughs> I need a good hair cutting slime tutorial. A meat pie <laughs> slime tutorial. Mm-hmm. I will say though, um, creative names for slime tutorials are one of my favorite ever is <laughs> there used to I don't know if it's still there but there used to be a slime tutorial for a waitress that was called yes. I am sad and oh. <laughs> yes Frigonaut. Frigonaut. <laughs> yep. um that, I was literally thinking of that one as you started saying. <laughs> I saw a Hades Town one that said wife is mad at husband for redecorating slime tutorial <laughs> <laughs> one for Heather's um, one time but just said high school sucks slime tutorial yes there was one, there was, a, there used to, there's no, well, I don't know. There, I think there's still a Great Comet one where it is literally just called, like, Great Comet. Um, there are so many of them that are just the name of the show, and I'm just, like, bold. 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 <laughs> but there used to be one where it was, like, Josh Groman is sad and fat, and I was like. <laughs> I mean, accurate descriptor of that show, but <laughs> wait. Well, on that wait. note, <laughs> wait. Now I have to look. I don't think okay. that one's there anymore. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there was um that one. I remember also was like very. Listen again. I don't condone illegal shit, but I'm just saying. If you're gonna do it, share it. <laughs> it was very given. I feel like that show would be a very difficult show to do a slime tutorial of, given that like it was pretty much in the round. Yeah. Um, but I remember being like, "Damn, this is like some cinematography shit," of like the angles, and it was. I was like, "Okay." And like, the it's Tony, just the work they just do one Tony person for best cinematography of a slime tutorial. <laughs> <laughs> The American Theater Wing would never, <laughs> but like maybe maybe maybe, maybe that's the first cabinet award that you know that we to do. the American Theater Wing. Like we know how to get you back in touch with Gen Z. <laughs> yeah. The um, it's like oh, did you lose the Tony Award for Best Actor? Sorry to hear that. You could still win Best Actor in a Slime Tutorial. <laughs> <laughs> Two bites of the apple. Well, <laughs> on that note, um, on that note, I um, there's something that I we haven't talked about yet, but I have to talk about because, um, anyone who knows me knows that my gnome de internet is dance and dan. Ah, uh, yes, Stephen Hoggett's choreography in this, in this revival of Sweeney Todd. Particularly in that last scene. I am obsessed with all the choreography. The, the, like, the angularness of his movements for this cast. The way that it is, like, I I have never seen dance on Broadway that looks like this. <laughs> The, the, this is this the really this choreography felt as radical to me as like when 
uh, the original production of Spring Awakening, Bill T. Jones's choreography just totally exploded off that stage and just felt completely different from anything else I had seen. This has a similar feeling, although in completely different way. Um, but the, I said it when I saw them do uh, the Ballad of Sweeney Todd on the Tonys that like I was just blown away by how he had them move and how they looked like this sea of people and all the, the jerkiness and the hurt. It, it just made it really feel like something horror. It felt like a horror musical choreography. And Josh and, coming out of that smoke. Ugh, do brilliant. you know actually... Do you know what part made me literally gasp out loud dramatically for some was time? was it the um the silhouetted scene with Lucy? No, but that was very that good. was oh my god. That was very, very good. And the fact that it was happening above them. So Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. Everything um, about that perfect. No, the part that made me gasp out loud is the very, very, very end after they sang uh, the yeah. ballad of Spinny Todd and they held hands and jumped into that hole. I literally went, oh! Like, yeah, it, oh. I, I, when I, when I saw them, and that's one of my things is like, I hate that. I, I get it. There's not really another way to end it, but I hate that it ends with the ballad of Sweeney Todd after that scene. It just doesn't, it never felt like it works for me. But with that, that instrumentation and them standing there and looking at each other, grabbing like hands. And it is, and it is the perfect note to end that show on, mm -hmm. especially like this particular revival where it felt like they really did have that connection between the two of them. Yeah. Right? Like it was. The fact that they hold hands as they do the it. They hold hands and jump into Ugh. the darkness together just to swallow it up it was a brilliant brilliant directorial choice it's not like the kind of thing that like you know completely recontextualizes a musical that we all thought we knew like what they did with my fair lady or whatever but like i as it's such a great little flourish to mm. end the show on I really, really loved it as a last final image. So yeah, I will say though there is something about, and this isn't, this isn't just for this production. This is literally any production of Sweeney Todd I've ever seen. Is <laughs> there is something about the fact that you've got like the judge and the beggar woman and Beetle laying there dead, and then they get up and are like a ten tale of Sweeney Todd. That I'm like, you kind of took me out of it. And but this time for me, it really felt like, like I don't know, like they were zombies or vampires or demons somehow, like literally coming back from the dead to like bring us into this, like into like the the upside down, you know, you like into the dead zone or whatever. Like it, it was, it really felt like they were just welcoming us to the afterlife somehow. <laughs> You know, it's never mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> um, no, never mind. I'm gonna hold that thought anyway. But I, I do actually want to go back to a little um to talk about because we sort of br brushed over a little my my like favorite favorite um part of the choreography, which was the 
silhouetted dance that they did while Sweeney was telling he's telling Anthony right what happened no he's telling or Mrs. Lovett or he's telling Mrs. Or Mrs. Lovett right 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 yes yeah and I it was such a brilliant choice to have them do it in silhouette because it sort of remind it remind me of the um oh my god what are those pieces of art called like the shadow boxes yeah yeah it's like a shadow box shadow boxy feel to it um that felt like it's very it felt very period mm-hmm. um like you know period appropriate but it also like <laughs> and i i can't really say why um it put me in this frame of reference but it made me think of eyes wide shut and okay. the, like the creepy sex cult party that he goes to and like that's what that i was seeing like those people like i was picturing the judge and whatever these men is like you know and they're pretty robes with their ornate masks and you know hiding behind this veneer of upper class whatever mm-hmm. really underneath their venal and little shits <laughs> that's that's the only way you can describe the judge and Beto Bamford from now on <laughs> venal little shits <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm no, I agree. I will say um, what is interesting, and granted, I didn't have the experience of this was my first time um, experiencing the story. The first time I saw it, I went with my friend who had never seen the movie, had never seen any production. She knew Ooh. nothing. Ooh. And after having seen that, she thought that the judge killed Lucy. And Mm-hmm. at intermission she's like so what did he do to his wife and i was like well he raped her and she was like oh he didn't kill her <laughs> and i was like no oh dear and then i was like we need to change the subject now before i accidentally let something slip because they yeah. clearly don't know something yeah you're clearly Wait, in for so a shock later um I totally, actually, you totally should have been like, oh, yeah, he killed her. <laughs> she dead. <laughs> she dead, because that's what we're all supposed to think, right? Is that she, she's dead. Well, so she's like, so I'm confused, because then she said she poisoned herself. And I'm like, hmm, yes. Interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to stop. Wait, what happened? Oh, I don't remember if this was the first or second time I saw it. Again, not to be obnoxious. I simply can't remember. <laughs> I've seen it so many times. Um, there was one time. <laughs> this one time at Sweeney Todd on Broadway. Sweeney Todd. <laughs> um, I had to stop from laughing. It was right after he, everybody's been killed. And he's like, open the oven door. And she's like, no. And he yells like, oh, no, like really loud. This guy behind me goes, I bet that's his wife. <laughs> that was so good. Like you knew my Lucy lived. He was like, I told you. Oh my god. 
It was like, yeah, no shit. Wow. Like, I'm so, so proud he was of you for really that upset together. that he accidentally killed the beggar woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, I I know that we could all stay here all night and talk about Sweeney Todd all night and we would be ringing in the new year with ladies and their sensitivities. <laughs> um, this for a New Year's Eve special where we'll be ringing in the new year with ladies and their sensitivities and watching slime <laughs> tutorials. Um, it actually sounds like a pretty dope New Year's Eve. It's actually, really yeah. Awesome. Actually. But in any case, um, given that we are Culture Cabinet, we're all going to now go around and say if there is one thing from this production that we can put in the Culture Cabinet, which, what is the culture cabinet? It's whatever you want it to be. Um, <laughs> wouldn't what you if, like to know, Weather Boy? <laughs> wouldn't you like to know, Weather Boy? It's um, where we are keeping, where we are preserving culture for the next generation. <laughs> the The culture cabinet is the friends we made along the way. Indeed. Um, What, Dan, is the thing from the 2023 revival of Sweeney Todd that you are putting in the culture cabinet? Okay. Ooh. Um. Ooh. Okay. Okay. So, as like brilliant as Annalie Ashford is, the the one thing like that I think the best part of the show that I really need to put in the culture is Ruthie and Miles's performance as the beggar woman. I. It is far and away, I think, the best interpretation of that character I've seen. And it blew my freaking socks off. I think she's brilliant. Totally deserved that kind of shocker Tony nomination. And yeah, I I can't say enough good things about how great she was. Join us on social media where we mailed Ruthie and Mouth a t-shirt that says you are in the culture cabinet. <laughs> Absolutely. Nicole, what are you taking from this production and putting in the culture cabinet? Uh, this is so hard because there's so much in this production that is worth being in the culture cabinet. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to say specifically Annalie Ashford's rendition of By the Sea which is one of my favorite numbers in Sweeney Todd. And I think she does it perfectly. Um, And like to get even more specific, the way that she does the seagull noises. And the second Uh, time she does it, when Josh is like, oh, like that. Right. And the way that he reacts to them. So good. Honestly, I am with, along with her rendition, we're also putting in the way that Josh as Sweeney Todd reacts to her singing. Of course. Because it is, so funny and so peak like sitcom married couple yeah. <laughs> like he's like mm-hmm, okay whatever <laughs> but yeah the way that she is like also like kind of all over him and that number just cracks me up the so, way that she is all over him and he is like yes honey yeah, the he's way like, she's yeah yeah living my dream what um, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're putting that in the cabinet <laughs> we're putting that in the cabinet um I, I also love afterwards when they have like the world's most awkward kiss. Yep. And she's like, oh, that was lovely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really got me. It's really so funny. Um, okay. I 
Yeah, what are you putting in the cabinet? Of you we're gonna say this, but I also feel like both of you anticipated that I was gonna do this. So mm. yeah, um, this one for you. I'm putting, I'm putting Josh Groban in the culture cabinet. Um, <laughs> not anything specific about this performance, just the whole thing. Well, no, if I had not, to not specific, not even Josh Groban as Piggy Josh. Yeah, just Josh Groban in the cabinet in the next cabinet. to me. It's like. It's like in Rapunzel. She's like, I've got a man. I'm Mother Gothel. (laughs) And he has to sing. He has the magical singing power. (laughs) And it makes me beautiful. (laughs) And I comb his hair and I'm like, you can never leave this cabinet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, His hair's short. So what are you going to do? You can't get to it? He had had a really nice head of hair for someone who has been in prison for that long. He really did. Because I was keeping him captive in my cabinet. <laughs> That's where he actually was. Um, no, if I had to put a specific part of Josh Groban's performance in the culture cabinet, I would say I'm having a very hard time deciding between Epiphany mm-hmm. and Joanna Quartet. The thing yeah. about Joanna Quartet is that mm. it is in my. So Josh Groban sings my top two favorite songs in musical theater. Fun fact. <laughs> number one being dust and ashes from uh great comment duh as it should um, be <laughs> number two is joanna quartet i love that song mm-hmm. i love that it's a reflection actually you know what i'm going to tell you what's going in the culture cabinet there's a moment in joanna quartet that is in every production of sweeney todd but again i like the way josh did it best is when because that song is the, is the song he's singing when he's slitting throats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he scares that one guy who comes in with his daughter. Yeah. And I feel like oh my God. every production I've seen, that moment's played off like a joke. Mm-hmm. Of like, oh, you think he's going to kill him, but oh, there's a kid. Bummer. Yeah. Whereas here, <laughs> the whole point of the song is he's reflecting on what will never be. Mm-hmm. Of what like could have been and what will never be. And that was the one moment you can see it in his eyes after that couple leaves where he realizes like that was as close to having his family back that he's ever going to experience again. Yeah. Um, that, oh, I loved that moment so that much. That was really good. I love the I... look on his face after he finishes that song. I love the contemplative nature. That is going in the culture cabinet. I really thought that when you initially said it, it was going to be you were putting Josh Groban's epiphany in the culture cabinet. That's why I asked, like, yeah. nothing specific, just the whole performance. Yeah. I was I really maybe propose that we get a group vote for what yeah. goes in the culture cabinet and we say Josh Groban's epiphany. Well, I was going to say, like, I was going to say, like, an honorary thing oh, from yeah. this for the culture cabinet is the the um, arrival of the chair. Because when that crane came on that stage and was was swinging it around, I was like, what is happening? Well, so you can tell that those are stage managers that are in costume. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, does that matter? And how do they do it? Like, not to be, like, naive, but, like, that is clearly sealed on the bottom, but you don't see the bottom part leave. Incredible. The whole, it's so good. What I like, want, I want to ride on that chair. <laughs> yes. I want to fall. I'm scared of heights and I'm scared of falling, but I want to sit in that chair and just 
look at Josh Groban with a little nod and he hits the lever and I whoop. <laughs> I think I would wee. put both my hands up and be like, wee. Oh <laughs> <laughs> wee. wee. <laughs> um, but yes, this was as fun of a discussion as I thought it would be. And I knew this was gonna be a fun discussion. I knew this was gonna be an excellent choice for our inaugural episode. Um at the time of this release of this podcast, the uh cast album for the 2023 revival of Sweeney Todd will be released today. Um, happy September 8th. Um, so stream it, buy it. And if you're involved in Sweeney Todd, press it on vinyl. That's not a request. Please. I don't <laughs> care how much you charge me for it. I will pay it. I will pay a million dollars that I don't well, have. I, I won't. Lex is involved. Yeah, uh, no. Well, I don't have a million dollars. <laughs> I don't have a million dollars. But, not anywhere um, close. Anyways, um, thank you for joining us. Um, before we head out, um, do we want to let everyone know where they can find us on the internet if they want to? Mm-hmm. Okay, Dan, where, where can people find you? You can find me on the social media network formerly known as Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. You can also find me on uh, Post and Blue Sky at Dance and Dan. And you can find if you want to find my like reviews and other writing things other than the lovely Culture Cabinet website. You can find my writing at Awards Watch and Next Best Picture. Nicole, what about you? Awesome. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. I was like, I haven't, there's something else. What is it? Um, at Nicole Ackman 16. Uh, and you can find my work, obviously, on Culture Cabinet, which is just www.culturecabinet.com. Uh, and over at Awards you can find me on the website formerly known as Twitter at at Lex W-I-L-L-I underscore. You can find me on the website that is, as far as I know, still referred to as Instagram um, on the same name. I'm on Blue Sky, but I'm like user 950 million because I don't know how to work Blue Sky. Um, so when I figure that out, I'll let you know. Um, and you can find me on TikTok at at MoonChooseLexi. Um, and I... I'm on Culture Cabinet if you want to hear my thoughts on Tears for Fears and Taylor Swift and fun activities. Um, may even have a review of the Sweeney Todd cast album um, with a plea for put it on vinyl. But again, that's not a request. Um, thank you for joining us uh, for this um, inaugural episode of the Culture Cabinet podcast. Um, be sure to um, follow us on the socials. And um, if you made it this far into this podcast, feel free to let us know what your favorite fun slime tutorial name is, because it is one of my favorite topics. Um, until next time. Thanks a bunch.